You're listening to episode number 26 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. In this episode, we're going to heal the past and learn to live your roar. Ready to go? Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoy. All right, welcome to yet another episode. I'm glad you guys are here, and I hope you're ready for a real good one because we have a great guest for you today. We have Denise Dominguez. I love that name, Denise Dominguez. Just rolls off the tongue. She is originally from South Florida. She has two children. Uh, and she is a women's empowerment coach, author, and speaker. Denise empowers women globally by having them face their fears and limiting beliefs that hinder them from living the life they dream of. She has a clear vision for seeing the trouble spots that exist in every stuck situation and the creativity to transform it instantly. Through her own struggles with divorce, Denise has managed to come out of it with a smiling face and a positive attitude through it all. She's an international best-selling author. She has a book titled Empower the Woman Within, Stepping into Total Freedom, which was out in June of 2018. And when she's not coaching women, she enjoys her family time, cooking, traveling, and going to rock concerts. Let me welcome you, Denise Dominguez. Denise, I am so excited to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm great, Jason. I'm so excited to be here and share so much love with your audience. Yes, I know. I hope they're they're ready and receiving of the love that we're about to give them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I feel like I feel like we're about to say this this is a an R-rated podcast. It's not <laughs> family friendly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um for those who might not be familiar with you, give us a little background about who you are and kind of how did you get to this point? Oh my gosh. All right, I'll give you the bullet point version. <laughs> the, the short short version. Or just the yeah, short yeah. version. Okay. So, um, how I got here was I left my toxic relationship in Florida and moved here to North Carolina with nothing but a futon couch and an air mattress. And I had run my, uh, ex's business in Florida and I had done it successfully. I actually surprised myself, Jason. I was like, Whoa, I can do this. Um, and so when I came here to North Carolina, you know, I did what I've always known to do, which was prior to me running the business, was medical sales. So I went back into corporate America, nine to five, you know, know. and uh, I was like, whoa, this is so boring. I need something. I need my freedom. So that led to, um, you know, I wanted an online business that led to finding a coach and getting into this where my coach was like, hey, you can start a business based off of your story. And my story is being in a toxic relationship for 22 years and escaping that, leaving that successfully, um, and creating and rebuilding myself up to having a brand new, amazing life. So the whole healing journey, and now I'm engaged to be married to the man of my dreams. So my core message to uh, women or people is that um, you can find true love after toxic love. It is possible. So that's how I got here. There's the cliff notes. <laughs> There's the cliff notes. That's, that, wow. Unlike a lot of people, you really stay true to the, uh, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a brief, brief version. Let me, let me ask you a couple of questions on that though. And sure. first of all, I want to say 
how happy I am before I forget how happy I am that you threw out that message at the beginning here that love is possible after a toxic relationship, because I can't tell you how often I just hear the despair in people that, you know, you know, what's the point? We're just going to make the same mistakes or, you know, this is what all relationships are. And, you know, it's just, just negative, which I understand when you're, because you're, you're exposed to that and you've been in it. Right. Um, But right. There is, there is better out there. That's what I try to preach. There is, it can be better, right? Absolutely. Awesome. So 22 years of a toxic relationship Mm -hmm. without rehashing all of that. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be, that'll be another episode. Absolutely. Because I know a lot of people can, um, identify with common experiences. Would you mind sharing with us like some of the characteristics that made your your last relationship toxic? That is such a great question. And I and I always say this to my audience uh, or whoever wants to listen to me really, Jason, because I narcissistic abuse is it comes on so subtle. And because there's no sexual or physical abuse abuse in it, that's why it's, it can be very hard to detect. So when I got married, when I got, actually, when I got with my ex-husband, I was 19, married at 21, first child at 23, second at 24, very, very young. And so I didn't, like I said, it came on so subtle in such little small increments. I didn't realize what was happening was actually happening. So the characteristics of narcissistic abuse is there's the love bombing and there's the gaslighting and there's the controlling and the manipulation. And like I said, when you're that young, you don't, I didn't realize what was happening. And I see this a lot in women that they don't even realize what the truth really was. Um, The toxic behavior involved the... A lot of traumas and dramas in my 22 years of being with him. So there was drug addictions and there was attempted suicides and there was a lot of, of that chaos and trauma and drama. So leaving that led me to finally thinking, okay, now that that's behind me, I know I deserve something better. And what is that? And which led me to my, my search and my healing journey. So there's a lot of things that come on very subtle with narcissistic abuse and it's, and it can be very hard to detect. And that's what I want the audience to really get from what I'm saying that anytime somebody is controlling or manipulating, even if it's just, you know, I've heard of women say, um, he didn't like me wearing such and such. This is, this is how brilliant they are at manipulation. So she puts on an outfit that she feels good in, that she loves. And he says, you know what, honey, this one looks a lot better on you. And this is a repeated pattern, right? This is over and over again. So you end up starting to wear the things that he wants you to wear versus what you feel comfortable and what you feel beautiful in. That's how subtle it can be. Right. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned a couple of terms, which I know are are commonly used and people you know, dealing or who have been, you know, researching and reading up about narcissism probably are aware of, but I never take it for granted. So do me a favor and just give me your definitions of love bombing and gaslighting. Great. Okay. So love bombing is when they, and this is super common. 
they come on too strong too soon. So it's, I love you way too soon. You don't even know this person. And, and they're saying, I love you. And they want you to say it back, right? Because I love you. So that automatically means you love me. Right. <laughs> um, and there's just, the best way to describe it is there's too much too soon. So even moving in together or talking about marriage, just moving too quickly. There's no, um, there's no grace period in between, you know, getting to know somebody as a friend. Cause you know what they say, Jason, like when you, when you have a partnership with somebody, you're going to end up as friends when you're too old to do anything and you're sitting in the rocking chair, what do you end up being friends? So you need to have that friendship before you go into the courtship. So there, there's that. It's just too much too soon. And the gaslighting is uh, what I call the master manipulation. So they actually, and there's a movie called Gaslighting. Uh, it's on like Amazon for like $2.99. I highly recommend it because it really shows you how subtle this abuse can come on. So the gaslighting is more of, Jason, that didn't happen, but you know for a fact that happened right? Whatever that is. Right. You're like, no, Denise, it did happen. <sighs> no, it didn't. Remember we da, da 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 and I'll go into like a whole nother story and convincing you that what you know to be true, you start to doubt yourself. Wait a minute. Now I'm, did it happen? And so that's gaslighting. When you start to doubt yourself and think you're going insane because you know that this whatever it is, event happened, or you said something or whatever, and they're convincing you, no, it didn't. So that's, that's a glimpse of what gaslighting is. Yeah. They make you think that, you, that you're the crazy one. Yeah. That you're nuts. Yeah. Yep. I'm glad, I'm glad you, um, I'm glad you just went over that really briefly because um, I, I just, like I said, you know, you never know who's listening, who hasn't heard, you know, the, the, the labels, gaslighting, right. love bombing. But after you describe what it is, you're like, oh, wait a second. That's uh, what's going on with me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm glad we did that. Now, narcissists, did you, before you were involved with it, and, and did you know, I mean, like personally, did, were you aware of that, what narcissism or what a narcissist even was? No. I didn't. And you know what? In fact, Jason, it was, I don't even remember what year, how many years before I had actually left my relationship, but my best friend, we were on a phone conversation and she said, Denise, don't you think he's a narcissist? And I was like, a what? I don't even know what that is. And I Googled it. Right. And so something popped up, like take the test, 12 signs. He's a narcissist. And I filled it out. And then I go, oh, well, he's not all of them. So no. And I just disregarded it. I was like, nah, he's not a narcissist because I didn't follow every single one of them, right? Because nine times out of 10 doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Only 90%. Right, exactly. So no, I didn't. And it, in fact, it wasn't. Now, I did always know it was toxic. I did know that. I did know, um, which is very common, he was messed up. I was always pointing the finger at him, right? Because I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't, a, I wasn't in the relationship. It was just him. Um, I'm being sarcastic, (laughs) (laughs) but it wasn't until I got out of it, I would say a couple of years and I started my own healing journey that I realized what the truth was. 
And so when I started to put the pieces together of what the truth was, then I started to see like, wow, I was in an abusive relationship. Because again, when there's no physical or sexual abuse, for some people, it's hard to detect on what that abuse is, right? Right. Not everybody, especially if you come from emotional abuse, right? Or mental abuse, you don't know it because you come from that. So it's just like another layer of what you come from in childhood. So I didn't know um, because there was no sexual and physical abuse. I just thought he was a jerk or I just thought, you know, I made every excuse in the book. He was this, he was that. That's why it wasn't this. It was that. Right. So yeah, it wasn't until I was out of the relationship for a few years that I finally knew the truth of what really happened. And then when you realize I think a common theme is because, like you said, a lot of this stuff is subtle um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not, okay, I'm manipulating now. So, you know, here right. we go. Right. But, but when you become aware of it, right, and it becomes like in the forefront of your conscious thinking, it actually isn't so subtle. Mm, oh, yeah. Correct. Right? Yeah. But you have to, you have to be, it's, it's almost like you have to train yourself to, to look for this stuff. So I call it, <clears throat> you're right, it's when you're aware, like your eyes are open now. You're aware, you're like, oh, crap, right? You have this awareness, oh, crap, that's the truth, that's what happened. And I, I like to describe it as like, I was on the first floor at the time when I didn't know, right? Now I've risen, I've gone up to the second floor, and so now I'm seeing more. I can see you know, clearly, and now you go up to the third floor, and it's just about like having a higher consciousness of all of these awarenesses that you've discovered, not only about the other person, but about yourself, most importantly about yourself. Because that was a hard pill for me to swallow, Jason, that I was, that I was in an abusive relationship. Because I didn't view myself as that, right? I, I viewed myself as this strong woman who took care of everything and did, you know, ran the business and took care of the house and da 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 abused like when we think of abused woman we think of like the poster in the public bathrooms right curled up in a fetal position mascara down her face right so that was in the beginning a hard pill for me to swallow that being said just because you were in an abusive relationship does not mean that you are that picture of abuse meaning you're not dependent or you're not strong or you're not you know whatever it just means that what happened happened and life is always there for us. Life is always showing us what we need to see. So I just want to clarify that because too many people think, well, I'm weak. I should have known better because right. I was in that abusive relationship and they're ashamed of it. There's a lot of shame attached to it and a lot of guilt attached to it where those are all disempowering emotions to carry around with you. And like we were talking about before, Jason, when you, when you let out those low vibrations and those low emotions, you attract exactly what you're putting out there. So you bring in more of that shame, whether it's in situations or or thoughts or other people or whatever, more guilt, more blame. And it's just very disempowering. Yeah, no, that that's great. I mean, do you think though, part of it is also the fact that they don't want, you know, and I'll, I'll just say women, there, there's victims on, on both sides, men and women, right? Mm-hmm. But 
do you, let's just use women for, for this example, they don't want to feel like, or be labeled as the victim, because again, that's, that connotates a, a sign of weakness to them when it's, it's really not, um, you know, and, and they think somehow it's their fault that, you know, how did I get myself into this situation? Mm-hmm. Is it means, is that part of it too? Yeah. So most of my clients are six figure income women. They're successful. They're CEOs, they're doctors or their doctor's wives or whatever attorneys. And so they're very successful when it comes to their career, but when it comes to the relationships, this is what's happening. And so when you have that quote unquote status of being successful, yeah, you don't want to look like or be viewed as or feel like this disempowered woman, this abused woman. So yeah, it's very common. And that's where the shame comes in. That's where I feel ashamed of who I am because of now what I've realized or what I've been put through. And a lot of times they'll stay in those relationships as I did because of the status or maybe they're financially dependent, right? Two incomes and all of that. So they stay in these relationships and they think that they can quote unquote handle it, handle his criticism and his, you know, being mean and abusive, um, because of the kids or because of, you know, I don't want to break up the family or like I said, two incomes or whatever, or I don't want to look like a failure because a lot of times divorce has that stigma still attached to it as you failed because you divorced, your marriage failed. So there's all those things that come into play that are attached to the shame, the shame part of it. Yeah. It's amazing to me that the, um, and we hear it all the time. I don't know how really accurate it is. I actually heard it's not 50%, but you know, everybody says, oh, the divorce rate is 50%. And it, I've heard that, I don't know, as long as I can remember, you know, it's uh-huh. been that, you know, people throw out that uh, percentage. And yet, like you said, there's still this stigma attached to divorce. Mm-hmm. And it just, in a lot of ways, it just, it amazes me. Um that people still feel that way. Um, but I could, I could totally understand it because you get married and you think, and you take vows, you know, uh, till death do us part. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody gets married hoping they're going to get divorced. And, you know, you expect your life to go one way and then things happen and you get divorced and right. Nobody, nobody's proud of it. Right. So that that's where a lot of this feeling comes from too, is that right. It's almost like, well, we failed. Mm-hmm. Well, what that entails is we're attached to the results. We're attached to the outcome. Because you're right. I would say most people get married to have that happily ever after ending, right? We're going to grow old together. It even says it in the vows, right? Till death do us part. And we're attached to that story. And so when things don't go right and the end result is crumbling, then we hold, try to hold on to it tooth and nail because we don't want the result that we see what's coming to happen because we want that, that, that you know, storybook ending. We want the happily ever after, the white picket fence. We grow old together. But in most relationships and most marriages, what we do is we give our hap- the responsibility of our happiness to that other person. When... The truth is, is that we cannot rely on somebody else to, to bring happiness to us. 
happiness comes from within ourselves. Right. So when we give that responsibility to somebody else, that's when things start to crumble. So sometimes things crumble, it starts to crumble even before we walk down the aisle because we're relying on this person to make us happy. And sometimes the other person will do, especially men, men, you guys love to fix things, (laughs) including people. You don't know me. (laughs) (laughs) And you try to, and so that means let's let, I want to make her happy. So you do things to make her happy, but those things don't make her happy because she's searching for happiness outside of herself when we know that happiness is only inside. And so you go on this, you know, tail chasing circle ride for 30 years of trying to make this person happy. And what's the results are, she's more miserable than ever. And you're just racking your brain like, what the heck is going on? Right. Because she gave the responsibility of her to be happy onto you. And that's when things started to crumble. But, but, and I don't want to necessarily, you know, go down the rabbit hole on this, but it's interesting to me. Why do you think people do that? Why are they giving over that responsibility for their happiness to the other person? I mean, is that something that they think is, you know, is it subconscious? Is it something that they just think is what you're supposed to do in a relationship? Yes. It's subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know that they're doing it. This is not the intention going in. This is something that they're doing subconsciously. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. You know, it's that right when when you're single, you have no choice but to be, be responsible for your own happiness. Right. You know, and then there's there's some people out there who, you know, we all know them. Right. Think of somebody you know who is never single, right? Or as soon as they uh, a relationship breaks up, like it almost seems like next week they're with somebody else, mm-hmm. um, and they just can't be alone. So I'm wondering if that is like a common trait of somebody who feels like that. Yes, absolutely. That I love is. playing psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I wasn't an attorney, I'd be a psychologist. Yeah, you'd be great at it. <laughs> it, was that, it was that damn statistics course. <laughs> <laughs> People aren't that hard to figure out, Jason. Come on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, I, just find, I, I always find all that stuff uh, so fascinating. So how do you work with people uh, in the context of divorce? So when my clients come to me, um, they do come to me in all phases of the the divorce. I've even had women come to me before they make that move and I've helped them leave successfully um, in all areas. Uh, But generally they have been divorced for at least a few years and they go out into the dating world and they're starting to see a pattern of them attracting the same type of Mm -hmm. person as their ex. And so they're like, Oh no, (laughs) not doing that again. So they reach out and they're like, I need help. I keep attracting this narcissistic person over and over again. And so then what I do is I help them heal that part of them. Because the truth is, is that if you're attracting somebody that's narcissistic into your life, nine times out of 10, it means you come from somebody with those traits, maybe even mental illness. There's some type of abuse that they come from, right? And so it's about healing that part of them so that they can embrace all the parts of us. So 
we love to shine on Facebook, right, Jason? We just like put all the new, I got the new car and I got the new boyfriend or girlfriend. I got the new this and I got the new that. But nobody wants to share their flaws or the things about them that they don't think are perfect. And that's what happens in life is that we stuff down that part of us that we're ashamed of, that we feel guilty about. Um, And we only want to expose the perfect parts of us. And what happens is, is the more you stuff that part of you down, the more you attract that into your life. That's why I said like energy attracts like energy. And you got to think of, of life as it's like a boomerang with the, ener- the energy that you put out there comes back to you. So if you're stuffing parts of you down that you don't want to deal with because they're too painful, you're too ashamed of it. And you're going to attract that into your life. Life is always showing us what we need to give attention to. So that's how I help my clients. They come to me and that I keep attracting the same type of guy. I've even had women say, I am a narcissistic magnet. (laughs) I keep attracting them over and over again. I'm like, okay, you know, you're not. It may seem like that. And that's actually a good thing because it's life is showing you like, this is the part of you you need to heal. And so we dive into that and I help them heal, basically accept all the parts of them. Right. Yeah. And and that's, that's great. And that's why I, I love having you talk about this for this episode, because I say it so often, uh, but we never really get into it. So I want to get into it a little bit with you. And that's the after divorce, you know, Mm -hmm. what happens next? Mm -hmm. So you don't repeat the same mistakes because Mm -hmm. that is so common. Mm -hmm. And I see it all the time and people saying, I met another one, you know, and, and, and I just think it's human nature to attract, um, you know, it's almost like if you don't learn from the, your mistakes, you're bound to repeat it, right? Isn't that absolutely? And yes. I always get my phrases mixed up. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something. And and so, what I always stress, and when I always try to get you know my guests to say, and they usually do, and I think you'll agree with me, is that you know you're bound to repeat the same mistakes and maybe meet a you know somebody with similar traits or another narcissist if that's who you were with before. If you don't put in the work, you really, it doesn't, it doesn't correct itself. You got to put in the work Mm -hmm. and, and kind of go through the, the pain of healing and, and becoming aware. So, so you don't make the same mistakes. Yeah. But I can tell you the pain of healing is far less and way better than the pain of repeating the same patterns, the same crappy situations, the same painful horrible situations over and over and over again. And then you're, you know, 65, 70, and you look back and you're like, holy crap, I wasted all those years. I should have known better. Right. What, what could have been? And, and right. Right. You, I think everybody should want to, not that I'm telling you everybody how to live their life, but like, right. I try to live my life with, with as little regrets as possible, you know, mm-hmm. because that's my biggest fear, right? You're, you're 80, 90 years old. God bless if you live that long that, you, you look back at your life and you want to say, yeah, you know what? I'm good with it. Um, you know, and, and you don't have too many regrets. So um, let's talk about like what that work is. When, when we say, you know, put in the work to heal yourself. Can you talk about that? Like, what is, what does that mean? So when my clients come to me um, and they've attracted these narcissistic people into their lives, um, what it tells me is that they're operating from a mother energy. 
So for your viewers and for you, Jason, imagine a triangle and a triangle has three points, one at the top, two at the bottom. And at the top, we have woman slash adult energy. And this is where we want to be, right? This is the higher consciousness that I was talking about. This is the fully aware woman who has healthy boundaries in her relationships. She learns from her mistakes. She's basically got her beep together. Okay. Then at the two bottom corners, you have mother slash parent energy and you have daughter slash child energy. Where narcissistic behavior or narcissistic personality disorder falls under is child energy, right? Don't they pout? (laughs) Right? So when my clients come to me, they're in that mother energy. And mother energy is she loves too much. She gives too much. She does too much. She overdoes. She overworks. She over this. She over that. She's a busy bee. She's a worrier. She's a rescuer. And when you're in that energy, like, again, like energy attracts like energy, mother and child always go together. So that's why she's attracted this child energy into her life. And so what I do is I help them heal the split between the mother and the daughter energy and rise up into that woman slash adult energy so that when she is now dating again, she has 100% confidence in herself that she's going to match up with adult energy, a man, not a child, right? Right. How many, how many times have you heard the phrase, oh, <laughs> she's got three children, two little ones and her big, her, you know, her husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so unhealthy. You do not have three children. You have two. <laughs> Don't raise a grown man. That's so unhealthy. And, and people joke about it. And, but they don't realize, like, if that person is acting like a child and you really are in that mother energy, that's not a healthy relationship for two adults to be in. Right? Right. So, That's what I teach my clients is how to heal the split between the two, the mother and the daughter energy and rise up into the woman energy. Does that make sense? Yeah, sort of. I I drew the triangle on a piece of paper. Okay. (laughs) I'm a a visual learner. (laughs) Me too. I'm the same way. So everybody listening, when you get home, draw the triangle and and write it out. Um, So how does, is there a name for this? I mean, did you come up with this yourself Um, or is this like, what is this called? Okay, so it's basically your emotional age. And it, it stems back from, I mean, people have done this for, for hundreds of years, but Dr. David Hawkins is the one who came up with the map of consciousness. And so he came up with this map of consciousness and, and it was like what I was talking about before, the lower levels of consciousness where we're in that shame and that guilt and that blame. And he logged them with numbers. So those emotions, they resonate at a 20 or a 30. And where we want to be is at love and above. Love, it resonates at a 700 and above and the, higher's get, the, the numbers get higher. So the emotional age, which is what I'm talking about, this woman, daughter, and, and mother energy, was stem, it stemmed from that, but it was created uh, by Crystal Andrus Morissette. And she came up with this triangle. I think she, I'm pretty sure she did. And so it's like, you know how you meet somebody who's physically a grown adult, but they act like a child. Yep. 
Yeah, that's their emotional age. Or vice versa, you see like a 12-year-old little girl and she's in that mother energy. She's always taking care of everybody and uh, has like the baby dolls at an early age and she's just got her bedroom all set up and all the babies are tucked into bed and everything's so organized, right? That's mother energy in a in a small child. So that's called your emotional age. Okay, I got that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> um, and, and that makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, I kind of think, and I don't know if it's necessarily related, but, you know, like when we talk about emotional intelligence versus, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, like book intelligence or, you know, things like that, the, the, there's different, there's different ways to, to look at it. And right. so emotional age is right. Different than physical age. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now is there, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a typical or what is in your experience, the typical timeline for somebody to go through the process and, and really heal so they can, you know, look towards a, a healthy future? It all depends on them and how much they put into the healing journey. So sometimes there's resistance in like when I give assignments, the assignments all, I always say pen to paper and all the assignments are, uh, they bridge the calls together. And what they do is they peel, shed and heal back under the layer so that they heal that part of them. And they, let's get to the next one, right? So it depends on if they do that work. My clients who show up for the calls and do the work, their their time is expedited. It, it's not that long. I have had clients who show up for the calls and they don't. They have resistance to doing the homework. So theirs takes longer. Um, me, myself, I mean, I went into deep my deep healing journey for 18 months. But I can honestly say, Jason, I don't stop. Like, I just keep going because, you know, I just want to be the best version of me, not only for myself, but for my, my business, my clients and my family. So I don't want to say that there is a time, but you do get results fairly quickly if you do both. If you show up for, for the, the empowerment calls and you do the homework assignments, you'll see results quickly. Yeah, no. And you bring up a great point, um, which I want to stress too. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know if this is a great anal- analogy, but I'll, I'll use it anyway. People who go to chiropractors for regular adjustments, it's like maintenance, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, you can never stop learning. You can, you can never stop working on yourself. Um, so it's a lifelong, you can approach it as a lifelong venture, mm-hmm. not to say you necessarily have to, you know, work with a professional uh, your whole life, but right. you will see, you have to start number one, you have to put in the work number two, and then you'll start seeing results as long as you do the work. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's hard, but you got to show up, right? Half of it is, is just showing up. Um, right. And you do you work do with the work. all over? Say that again. Do you work with people all over or? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And I'm going to put all your information in the the show notes uh, too, so they have it, uh, so they can contact you. Let me ask you one more thing before we go. Do you have any uh, advice, techniques, tips that you can give to the people listening um, to help them get started um, 
on the healing journey? You know, what can they do? Is there any exercises or anything that they can start to do to kind of get the ball rolling? They can, here's what just came up. They can write a letter to their divorcee, but not give it to them. This yeah, is don't send them. it. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 don't send it. This is for them only. This is an exercise. They can write a letter, uh, address it to them, and they can, in the letter, write about all the should-haves, could-haves, or would-haves that they feel in their mind should have happened, right, could have happened, and all of that. So it's, it's a releasing letter. It's a letter to release all of the emotions that they're having because nobody wants a divorce. Even if you hate that person or you think you hate that person, it's still painful to go through a divorce. Even on the best circumstances, divorcing is still painful, especially if there's children involved. It's still painful. Right. So there's all these, you know, when we're little, especially us little girls, I don't know about little boys, but little girls, they, we dream of our wedding day, like from a very early age. And we have this whole story that we've created and it doesn't end with a horrible divorce. It ends with, like I said, happily ever after, right? So there's all those should haves, would haves and could haves that we had in our mind that were supposed to happen. So by them writing this letter, they're releasing a lot of that emotional poison out. And like I said, they're going to address it to that person, but they're not going to give it to that person. This is for them. And then they can burn it. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's cathartic. Yes, very. Yeah. <laughs> the writing and the burning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much for sharing that one with us. Um, and just tell everybody where they can find you. The best way is my website, denisedominguez.com. There on my website, um, there's the social media links. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And um, also on my website, there's some free resources for the, the, the viewers to click on and, and take advantage of. Great. And again, for those listening, I'll, I'll try to put those links in the show notes as well. Uh, Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you and definitely we'll have to have you on in the future to jam on some more stuff. Absolutely. That sounds amazing, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor to be your guest. Oh, no, absolutely. And I will be talking to you real soon. Perfect. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. Denise is great. And I think the moral of the story is that if you're in a toxic relationship or you uh, just got out of one and you're looking toward the future, understand that if you put in the work, you improve yourself, the future is bright. I think we all want one thing when it comes to intimate relationships. We want a healthy one, one full of love, happiness, and peace. And that's not too much to ask for, no matter what past you have come from. So move forward, move upward and onward, everybody, and uh, let's do this together. Now, if you're interested in some personal divorce coaching for your personal situation, check out my programs through Divorce You. If you have any questions, just email me, jason at jasonlavoy.com, and we will pick the program that's right for you. In the meantime, all I want you to do is be strong and confident and stay positive. Till next time, everybody, I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy. I'll be talking to you real soon.